Dave Arnold, your host of Cooking Issues, coming to you live from the heart of Manhattan, Rockefeller Center, New York City, Newsstand Studios. Joined as usual with John sitting here in front of me. How you doing? Doing great, thanks. Yeah? Yep. Yeah? Yeah. yeah. All right. Peachy. Joe Hazen rocking the panels. What's up, Joe? Hey, how's everybody doing? Good, 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 good. We do not have Jackie Molecules, although he's listening. No, he's listening and coordinating, but he can't like actually speak on the phone right now, so we can't talk about him like a dog, which is kind of unfortunate because, you know, when people aren't on, we like to talk smack. You know what I mean? True. But we can't. Not that I have smack. We shouldn't. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but we do have, thankfully, Nastasia the Hammer Lopez. How you doing, Stas? I'm good. Yeah? Yeah? And mm-hmm. uh, upper, upper left, Quinn. How you doing? Hey, good. The Q-Dragon. All right. Uh, so we do, we do not have a, a... By the way, do we have a guest next week? Oh, we got a real fun episode next week. What? We have one, two, mythical chef. Josh from YouTube and Ariel Johnson both. How, how's that working? They're all uh, on my own. Don't you worry yeah. about the details, Dave. It's just going to happen, okay? Mm-hmm. They're all going to be at my house. Oh, wait. So it's all not live? So it's going to be one of those things where I can't see their faces and it's going to be a nightmare and I'm, I don't know if I'm stepping oh, on them and all this stuff? We're going to try to figure that out. Like, mm-hmm. put them on a Zoom. Put them on a Zoom. All right. Yeah. All right. Uh, all right. What do you guys got for me this week? What's going on? What, what be happening? What be happening? I see you brought us some chocolates. To I taste. did. I brought some chocolates. Well, while, while we're waiting for other people. Yeah. You want to tell me about these chocolates, John? So oh, these are, by the way, if you are listening on the Patreon, even though you probably aren't because it's not our normal day, we were recording on a Wednesday because uh, yesterday I was in San Antonio. Uh, do you have to be from Texas to call it San Antonio? I call it San Antonio. I'm not going to like be like, San Antonio. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't think I... Does anyone even say that? Is that even real? I don't know. Maybe I mean, it's got to be. I mean, but... otherwise, why would we have heard it? It's exactly. not yeah. even a little bit real. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, best Uber driver stories I've ever had any place I've ever been. One Uber driver, both her parents flew with Chenault, the Flying Tigers guy, and, okay. and like with the uh, Chinese National Army after World War II. She was also a pilot. Her mom was a UN doctor, and the dad was in and out of the Air Force. You know, flying like with the, with the Flying Tigers logo, the dad was like, you know, in the, in the early 40s, like in the original Flying Tigers before we got into the war. And I was like, what do you think about all these kids wearing the Flying Tigers logo on their backpacks? Like, no, like they, they don't even know that there were two world wars, much less one. She was like, ah, what are you going to do? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? She had met Madame Chiang Kai-shek. How messed up is that? That's pretty crazy. Yeah. Yeah, nutty, huh? Yeah, wild. Yeah, Uber driver. You know? Another Uber driver. Get this. Swear to God. I was there for less than, I was there for 24 hours maybe on oh, the wow. dot, right? 24 hours. Another Uber driver had skied for Bulgaria in the Olympics. That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and her son did gymnastics for Bulgaria. <laughs> And I'm like, what are you doing in Texas? Because she lived like all over the world. She's like, best gymnastics coaches in Texas. And she didn't talk like that because she's yes, Bulgarian. Bulgarian. <laughs> and I tried to like bait her with a little bit of like, you know, Bulgarian chauvinism. I was like, you know, I used to have a studio mate from Bulgaria. And he said that everyone else's feta was garbage and only Bulgarian feta is worth anything. And she was like, that's not true. Many countries have good feta. I was like, damn. <laughs> so not a trash talker, huh? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty wild. Yeah. That's Just crazy. like crazy Uber driver story after yeah. crazy Uber driver story. Good town for good town to get an Uber. Yeah. 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 Not like Florida where they don't they don't have front plates. Is it Florida where they don't force you to have plates on the front of your car? The worst. The worst. So you can tell it's your car once it's past you. Oh, that was my car. There was one place I flew, I think I talked about this on air, maybe it was Florida, where Uber rents out cars to the uber drivers and they're all white teslas so you're at the airport and there is like a fleet of white teslas coming at you how the hell are you supposed to know which one's your car come on man get with it front plates uh all right what else you got also in the news uh i don't know if you guys remember this uh from such times as last time we had a show but i mentioned that or nastasia mentioned that her christmas time you know megillah that she appreciates food wise is tamales and her mom swear to god packed me first of all i think nastasia your mom must 
own stock in a styrofoam tray corporation because that package, your mom uses styrofoam like like deli trays as as like their dit, like that like their packing peanuts. It was amazing. But she sends me a bag of Meyer lemons, a bag of uh, of Eureka's, you know, which is you know the style we normally get Eureka lemons, and then like both kinds of tamales. As Nastasia had said, one with the bow. And one not with a bow, not with like a grow grain bow. Like you know, uh, she slices one of the one of the husks down and ties it in a little bow to signify. I don't remember is bow 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 is beef only or bow is beef pork. I think bow is beef and no bow is pork. No bow is pork. And in uh, three three to a zippy individual zippy, so that you could steam individual zippies if that was your inclination, which is what I did because I have the Anova steam oven, makes it easy. And over steam oven makes your tamales easy because you don't have to fire up a steamer for it or, you know, nuke it as Nastasia does. Whatever. Uh, delicious. And Nastasia, I'm sure you hate everyone else's tamales because the meat ratio on these mothers was intense. You know what I'm saying? It was like, it was like your mom tries to figure out, like, what's the thinnest skin of masa around the meat tube that uh, she can make. I, was, I appreciate it. It was delicious. And she sent me two kinds of Cholula, the red and the green. Now, guess which one? What did you say? Pork. You didn't get any of the pork with green sauce ones. Mm, well, I put I put a lot of Cholula green sauce on it. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, which is your favorite Cholula? The red. Oh yeah, yeah. I like the mm-hmm. green, and they're both good. I like the green. I have to say that, and uh, people are going to hate me for this, but Tabasco's okay. Yeah, agreed. You know. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's just because I grew up with it. It was, like, everywhere. I just got, like, I just, like, it's not, like... Yeah, just doesn't do it. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah. But, you know, if you put, like, a bevy of hot sauces in front of me, I'm not like, ooh, I'm going for the... I'm going for Avery Island. And not just because, you know, the folks over at Avery Island did all sorts of skullduggery to, uh, you know, crush anyone who tried to use the word Tabasco, even though it's the name of a pepper. It's like trademarking the, the word New Jersey. You shouldn't be able to do it. You know what I mean? It should be illegal. They paid off all of these judges in uh, in Louisiana, which is, I guess, a time-honored tradition to pay off judges in Louisiana. <laughs> but it's, uh, you know, whatever. It's just a whatever. It's whatever. It's good, but whatever. Is anyone, you know, John's with me. Anyone? What do you think, Joe? What do you, where are you on Tabasco? I, I'm not into hot sauce. It doesn't like me. No? No, and I actually, I'm not the, now, the, for, forgive me. <clears throat> Tabasco is very heavily vinegary based, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I don't like vinegar. Oh, so Tabasco is a double no for you. Yeah, not into it. Um I do like 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 uh, um the Cholula um I like the green. Um yeah, but good. um I love spicy things but it just doesn't like me and then I just can't do it cuz I suffer. Yeah. Yeah, luckily <laughs> like no more. I get to the I'm at the point where it's, I just put an unconscionable amount of this stuff on everything. <laughs> you know, I don't know what it is. I don't know what, what... I just don't enjoy eating a lot of things without a little bitty zippity doo da. You know what I mean? Sometimes <laughs> I, I do use... do that with black pepper. Really? Oh, I love the black pepper. I love me some black pepper. Do you know what happens when someone gives me a steak and there's no pepper? I'm just like... <laughs> That's like... Or someone gives me pizza and I don't have crushed red. I'm like... <laughs> I just don't enjoy it. I just don't want it. It doesn't mean that... It makes it better. It's just that's the way I want it. Aren't I old enough to want something the way I want it? I think that's fair. Yeah. You know who the first person I was like, you know what? You have it however. Someone who, Nastasia, you remember this. Who Do you do you know who I'm talking about? Someone who. We all know the story. What? Chez? listeners, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Cesare. He, he, wants, he wants his, uh, doesn't matter. Champagne doesn't matter how much it costs. He wants a freaking ice cube in that thing. And I'm like, you know what? Cesare, God bless. Right? Yeah, absolutely. You want it the way you want it. Yeah. I think you've earned it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so uh, thank your mom for me, uh, Nastasia. Now, Nastasia said, I think we agree on this. The flavor of Meyer lemons, who cares? It's the aroma, yeah. right? Yeah. 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 Yeah, they smell real good. They smell real good. Uh, but you know what I should do? Because I still have a couple. I should measure the acidity of those suckers. I don't really have the time to do it, but I like break out the uh, the titration setup again and do some titrations. But I really should titrate that thing and see what the acidity level is. Huh. Anyway, uh, what do you got? You got well, anything? Cu- well, cu- curious about the lemons. Yeah. Uh, um, um, now, 
I, I can't say I've. I'm sure I have, have had a Myers lemon, but um, I've had many lemons because I'm. I I love lemons. Um, I love the taste of lemons. And um, when you get like some of these like Italian lemon drinks, and it says you know it's obviously you know it's carbonated water, sh- maybe it's some type of sugar and like lemon, right? Like the limonata, like, like the Pellegrino doesn't. It's not exactly the the the, the, the Galavina. I don't know. I've had, had Galavina no, in a bottle. No, the lemon itself has got this almost like nutty nuttiness to it. Hmm. That's phenomenal, and I can't. It, it, almost like a nuttiness. Maybe it's not nuttiness. Like there's an aftertaste that you get from sarsaparilla. Oh, I like sarsaparilla. You know that 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 that's a weird little thing on your tongue that you get. This some lemon drinks do this to me, and I don't know if it's me or is it um, is it the beverage itself? But sidebar. I had one of the best lemonatas on the planet two days ago. I went to Damascus, um, the restaurant. Oh, uh, I was going to say, Dama- wow. No, I didn't, I didn't go to <laughs> Damascus. I went to the uh, the purveyors on Atlantic Avenue right next to Sahidi's. Sahadis. Uh, I'm not the biggest fan of Sahadi's, but I like Damascus better. I hear that they've changed. I don't, I'm not a regular shopper over there, but I Sahadis hear that- is way different now. It's yeah. not as fun. It's not as, I don't. Not, I'm sorry, sorry, not. But anyways, if anyone the, disagrees, call us and talk to us about it. Damascus is is phenomenal. They're you know the spinach pie. I'm a big fan of the pies and stuff like that, and the um the stuffed grape leaves. But they had the old school Sicilian limonata by O O Sicilia limonata, and it's I don't know if it was the can that was so amazing to look at. Or if it was the beverage, or if it's the psychological, you know, marketing branding thing, um, but I recommend uh, finding the original Lemonata by O Sicilia, um, and it's awesome. Well, next time you're there, you got to bring a can in. You know, what? I went to go buy it. The forty-eight bucks for twelve on whoa, Amazon. Whoa, 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 whoa! No, but what about next time you're at what's it called? Next time you're in, you know, Damascus land. Yeah, 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 I know. But I think I'm going to get get them from Amazon. It's easier for me now. All right. With a kid, my forget it. Forty-eight for twelve. That's four dollars a crack. At four, I'm, I'm going to say this again. At four dollars, one can. Although, like, get this. I was. You want the reverse? I'm in San Antonio, right? Uh, I was going there for Pinot Ricard. I was there with Jack Schramm. We were doing a talk on uh, acid and bricks adjusting. So I go into what is purportedly the oldest bar in San Antonio. From like uh, the the hotels from the 1850s, the bars from 1880. They have all the original woodwork. It's been moved once inside the building, but it's all there. Walk in. And I just kind of wanted to chill. You know, <clears throat> had that old wood. They, they said it was based on a London pub, but, it, you know, it looked like a lot of the old, like, Labatt Balkan, like, you know, mahogany bars from that era. And, you know, I sit down and I'm like, you know, I don't want to have too much. So we, we get we both get an Alamo lager because it was literally right next door to the Alamo. And uh, we're drinking. We're talking about it. We have one. We're just like, oh, can we get the check? She's like, that's six fifty. So crazy! <laughs> and, uh, uh, we were all like, "What, Lord?" Yeah, I literally said to her, "What?" <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Yeah. Hey, you know what else I saw there, Nastasia? So, uh, when my wife was working uh, in Panama years ago, this has got to be like over 10, 12, This is like twelve years ago. She, uh, she bought me my first. Like Guayabera four pocket shirt it was made by uh, Panabrisas, which is the company in Panama that made it. It was a beautiful coral color. I love that shirt. It was my favorite shirt. And what happened to it, Nastasia? Fell in the street puddle. Oh, it, it fell on its own. That's how I remember it. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, it got fell in the street, ruined. Like a hole ripped in it. They had the exact same shirt at, like, the oldest shirt shop in San Antonio. But I was like, you know, I'm kind of on a buying freeze right now, and it was uh, $180. I was like, I, for that, I could almost fly to Panama and get it, like, cheaper. You know what I mean? It's true. Yeah. Um, anyways, the other thing about San Antonio, uh, I had, uh, for the first time, their puffy taco. I don't really want to get into an argument over, like— is a puffy taco like a hundred percent different from all of the other kind of puffy fried like tortilla things? But I'll say it's delicious. We went to uh, what was it? Hen- I think Henry's Puffy Taco, which is one of the you know 
popularizers. Let's put it that way. One of the popularizers of the of the puffy uh, taco. So if you've never had one of these puffy tacos, most of the recipes online seem like they uh, suck uh, based on what I ate when I was there. So uh, I didn't kind of know what to expect, but they, they use an uncooked uh, relatively thick masa tor- tortilla. Like, you know, they press it out and then they, they fry it and it puffs up. And then as it's puffing up, they push it down so that it has a semi-taco shape. But the inside is still really soft, uh, like really kind of, you know, soft, like almost like arepa-y kind of texture. But the outside is crispy and it forms this like kind of outside double crisp layer that puffs up around this inner, like, you know, you know, you know, medio arepa kind of a situation. Then with the filling in it, and they're filling it, which is also, we had a bunch of them, but good. Good. And cheap. And cheap. And cheap. Everything's so much more affordable as soon as you leave New York City. It's yeah, crazy. Yeah. We went to another place. I forget the name of it, but it was something like the the chef's name or something, pork and bread. And we had their like ahogado version things where they stand up the sandwich like it's a sinking Titanic and then they pour the sauce all over it. It comes in baskets. You know the you know tortilla baskets? Not the the warming ones, the the wickery ones. Yeah. And they put like a shower cap over it, and then they put the sandwich into the tortilla, into the shower bath, like shower cap in the thing, and then we put the sauce all over it. And then I was like, mm, okay, okay, yeah, sounds good. Yeah, and we went to uh, John's recommendation, Mitera. Yeah, my land, my land. Is it good, very good. Yeah. I went. I was a little nervous because when you go in, it looks. I mean it. It is somewhat yeah. a touristy it trap. Is, yeah, yeah. You know, the, the servers are super dressed kitschy, up. And, yeah, yeah. yeah. Is there the band going around too? They didn't have a band because it was okay. lunchtime. Okay. And, uh, you know, like all sort of like, you know, crazy decorations oh, yeah. everywhere. Super kitschy. But, oh my God, their, uh, their uh, green chili uh, enchilada was like really acidic, which I appreciate. I appreciate a high acid yeah. green uh, chili enchilada. It was d- delicious. And the last thing is it's a chain and it, I'm not going to try to oh, pronounce it. No, no, not oh, that. okay, okay. Uh, the pan, pan, you know, pan, whatever it is, aria, like pan the bread, oh, yeah. aria, whatever it is. I'm not going to be able to pronounce it. But you know those rolls that I forget the name of? I'm going to see if anyone remembers the name of them where they're like really puffy, like like really light, almost kind of brioche kind of rolls with that cr- with crispy layer of uh, sugar on top of them. You guys know what I'm talking about? Like con- concha? What? Concha? Maybe. But... <laughs> I never know the name of them because whenever I order them, I'm like, these suck. And I throw them away. I take one bite and I throw them away because they're always kind of stale. Yeah, those. Yeah, they're, always, they're always kind of stale. I ate one from this place and I was like, oh my God, these are so good. How could I have gone for 52 years thinking that this was a trash can product <laughs> and not understanding why anyone ever wanted to eat these? And why I thought they just made them because they were pretty. I thought they were like decorations, you know? Like popcorn strings at Christmas or something that no one ever ate these things. And I ate like two or three of them. That was like, these are so good. Like the bread was so fresh and light and the crispy coating was shattering, like shattering. You know what I mean? I was like, damn, this is good. Did not require any sort of topping of any kind. Anyway, that's my San Antonio story. Yeah. Uh, what do you got, Quinn? You been cooking anything? You been cooking? Oh, yeah. I've got, but before I get to what I've been cooking, you received. Uh, the tamales packed in styrofoam. Did you receive anything else packed in styrofoam, Dave? Did I receive anything? Now you're testing. Benzols. Oh. Yes. Jesus. <laughs> Son of a gun. You know, the company that you... <laughs> oh, my God. So, like, in San Antonio, someone raises their hand. I'm like, yes. They're like, when is my spinzol getting here? I was like, oh! <laughs> uh... Well, I don't know what you guys are worried about. My spins all showed up last week. (laughs) (laughs) So the uh, pilot unit. uh, So for for those of you, like a quick reminder on how this all works. Like you argue with a factory for years and years and years. You make a bunch of crappy prototypes. They then do what's called engineering build. And the engineering build is the last time they're really allowed to F up. And they did. They really effed up, which is why we're a, a, a month behind. They messed up the electronics, not the main guts. And uh, But the pilot run is the one they do after the engineering run. And the pilot run is where they're supposed to say, we know what we're doing now. So the pilot run unit is supposed to come to you, and it's only minor tweaks from there on out. And the pilot unit showed up last week. Uh, I... F- 
had Dax, because he was still in town, uh, take a video of me unboxing it completely. Not, I had no idea whether the thing was going to work or not. One take, in and out, worked great. So we're super, uh, we're super excited and relieved. As far as we uh, know, we like we look like we're good for production uh, beginning this month. It's a two-day production. So when I say beginning this month, I mean January thirty-first through February second, and then a couple of days of uh, freaking inspection, and then it's you know boat on the water, boom, boom, boom. You know what I mean? It's like get that thing on the water, yeah, get it out. Exciting. Get, get it off my shoulders. You know what I mean? Like all the three of us are like, <gasps> you know what I mean? Now we can't wait for that crap to be done. <laughs> done. Mm-hmm. Uh, anywho, uh, was that what you was that what I was supposed to talk about, guys? Yeah, yeah, I think. No. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, all right. So when I cooked, I made some pretty great uh, pasta amatriciana with homemade guanciale. I went really wild with this batch of guanciale. Uh-oh. I used regular salt, obviously, a little cured salt number two, a um, little bit of MSG, just a really small amount, um, a little bit of savory nucleotides, <laughs> so inosinate and linolite, and then instead of small amounts of regular sugar, of course, Dextrose and Dave take a wild guess. Uh, What's my favorite sugar? Your oh god, dang it! Lactose. <laughs> a little bit. Why? For what reason, it's though? A, because it's paired with cheese. Yeah, but so, but but why? It, it's really good. <laughs> you, know, you know what I don't? You know what I don't uh, drink when I'm eating cheese. Well, there's still traces of lactose in cheese. That's what I'm saying. It's like, when I'm eating cheese, I don't drink milk. Why? I, like, I'm not saying it wasn't delicious. I'm sure it's delicious. I'm just questioning why lactose. Is that like not eating chicken when you're eating chilaquiles? <laughs> Is that really a thing you're not supposed to do? I don't know. I don't eat chicken and egg at the same time. Really? That's weird. Wow. Oh. Oh, they're both the famous dishes where you pair... Chicken and, and, I know, Joe's just saying he doesn't do it. I don't do it. You don't do it. <laughs> He's like, I won't do it's it. It's good. It's good. Cheese with lactose. It's the meat. Infusing the meat with that. I know, but you said you thing. said that you put lactose in the guanciale because lactose pairs with cheese, which you're going to eat with the guanciale. Is that not what you said? Yeah, because it, it sort of highlights the cheese. But how does it highlight the cheese? It's just, it's a lactose. How does it highlight the cheese? Milk doesn't highlight cheese. But the sweetness. But any well, sweetness. Look, I'm not saying it's, it's not really delicious. Good. I'm not saying it's not really good, but you know what I bet you would be just as good? Sugar. 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 Yeah. I mean, people add dextrose because they don't want it to be sweet and they want it to ferment down. I get that, but lactose is less sweet even. Dextrose is easy to dose in because it's a powder. I, I get all that. Uh, but I don't know, man. You and your you and your lactose, you're like crap on you if you can't eat it. Yeah. Anyway. Uh. Anyway. Whatever. It was really good. And and also, okay. You you know what you need to do? You need to do a side by side. Well, I I was actually trying to, but then the other one got moldy. Hmm. It was the only survivor. What's wrong with mold? Couldn't scrape it up. Was the wrong it got, mold? It got it, it got bad. Yeah. No, it was not good mold. Yeah. Hey, uh, I'm not saying you should do everything traditionally, but I think as I've said many times, anytime I used to talk to Giuliano Bugiali, like anytime someone was doing something like that and they put a non-standard, any sort of non-standard spice on, I was like, hey, what do you think? What do you think, uh, Giuliano? What do you think? I don't like it. (laughs) I've made normal guanciale before. I've also had commercially produced. I've had some really bad commercially produced guanciale that a lot of people really like. How do you like yours? Do you like yours dry as a bone so that it has nothing left to it, or do you like it wet, or do you like it somewhere in between? Um, I don't know the moisture level of the stuff I bought, but I mean, I'm targeting a 30% moisture loss. I was a little short this time. Yeah. That's quite, that's pretty dry. I mean, mean, it's drier than 25. it's so much fat that, like, okay. 
Yeah, yeah that's what I'm saying. You're not losing. You're, what, my point is, is that you're not losing a lot of weight out of the fat. So if you're doing like a 30% off of the meat level in a guanta, it's quite a bit of moisture going out of something mm-hmm. that is primarily fat. So it's, it's, it's on the dry side is what I'm saying. I'm not saying good or bad. I'm just saying it's yeah, on the dry it's side. Good. Yeah, right. What uh, kind of pasta? Bucatini? Pacchetti? I actually did I ravitori. Oh, nice. Okay. Mm, little radiators. Nastasia, mm-hmm. what are your thoughts on the, on the radiator shape? I like it, actually. I do, too. They're okay. Yeah? What, mm-hmm. Do you prefer the radiators, or do you prefer the little uh, the spirals? Spirals. Huh. Why? Better bounce? Like the priest stranglers or the... Oh, no, I love those. I don't even care what they're shaped like. No, the routinis, you mean. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the radiators are good sauce holders, but they're not so bouncy, you know what I mean? They got a nice bite, though, in the middle. The radiators? Yes. Yeah. That's what, that's what for pasta, for me, it's got to have a snap. Mm. Like, for folly, in the middle, that when it, in, the, in that fold, the crease, that snap you get. Mm. Mm, that's the money for you? Man. Man. Yeah. Nastasia, what's your absolute, like, when you want to eat something, you get to choose a sauce. What's your favorite shape, or do you not have one, because it depends on your mood? The feeling, the feeling. Really? That's your fave? Nice. All right. Best name. What? It's just the best go-to. I like Bucatini a lot. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's good. Hmm. Uh, What if you could inject some crap into the middle of that? It'll be, it's it's gilding lily. It doesn't need it. It's stupid. (laughs) Stupid. I take it back. Like, what about putting it to my name? Yeah. You can put another piece of spaghetti inside the Bucatini. Yeah. Well, you know, I've said this before. The insult in my family is that guy is a macaroni with no hole. Yeah. He's a a macaroni with no hole. That's what they used to say about my crazy Uncle Larry. Macaroni with no hole. As opposed to, you know, what's good is you're a a tall drink of water, long drink of water. That's good. But macaroni is always, I mean, like, is macaroni always an elbow? No, but it was just a saying they had. I don't know. I don't know what that, I don't know why they called it. I don't know. Well, the macaroni used to be the term for like all dry pasta, right? It's all dry pasta. Yeah, right? I'm saying is in Boston, the, the term that is this idiot is a macaroni with no hole, which is a nicer way of saying struns. You know what I mean? Anyway. Uh, I always wanted one of the, the poster that I always see in the Italian markets with all the, all the pasta numbers and shapes. Yeah. Always like enamored me. Nastasia has that book that's like like the math of pasta or something. It's all like all like numbers and pictures and like technical drawings, right? Stas, don't you have that book? I think Mark has it. Mm. I can get that back. He doesn't. He doesn't care about that stuff, does he? You care about that stuff. <laughs> I don't know. Mm. All right. Uh, all right. So so John, should we eat these chocolates before? Let's I... eat these chocolates. All right. What, what are they? What are they, Belgian men? <laughs> So these are from No House, which oh, yeah. is... I know those guys. Yeah. I mean, not personally. Yeah. 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 Um, it's a chocolate shop that was started in 1857. It's in the Grande Galerie, if I sent you guys, listeners, the food recommendation map thing. Uh, it's on that list. It's really great. Uh, so he started out as a pharmacist, tried to be a doctor, but failed at that, so opened up a pharmacy did the chocolates too and used chocolate to cover the medicine, so everyone loved it. And then in 1912, their claim to fame is having invented the praline. Um, so instead of. How, yes, how the I hell? Know, yeah. Yes, yes. First of all, that's the worst word in the world because it means a billion things to it a does. billion people. Yeah, it does. You know what I mean? Yeah. Say that to someone down south and they're like, what? Yeah. Yeah. yeah completely different. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, praline. But whatever. Very, but what's that? It's not praline. It's pr- wait, what, so what is what, What's their definition of what they invented? The. So I think instead of let's see what do they say on their their website? You translate the, it from the French to delight his customers in the apothecary. Jean Nohaus first thought about covering medicines with the finest chocolate. In 1912, his grandson evolved this idea into the Belgian praline as we know it today, chocolate filled with delight instead of medicine. Oh God, damn. that's a terrible. Listen, this is the worst <laughs> worst fluffery in the world. And first of all, like, why would you put fine chocolate around medicine? Just anything to make it go down. You know what the you know who the best at that is Advil. Advil. They put like sugar on the outside of those things. We used to call those office candy. The brown, the brown Advil, <laughs> the best ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. like you know, I used to have to work in an office, and the minute I walked in, I had a headache. I'm like, oh my god, <laughs> oh get, get me out! And I was like, get me some office candy stat, and then we get the Advils, and I still have good feelings about them Advils. So you know, I, I graduated from the uh, remember the the Chewables, St. Joe's. 
Oh yeah, the pink, the pink one. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, well, yeah. You're, you're supposed to give that to your child now, like when they're mm, infants. Yeah. They're... Mm. <laughs> so weird. You're like your your no teeth gums. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. The other thing I used to pound. Remember when uh, vitamin C tablets were a huge thing, and they had those like sticks of vitamin C tablets, like Smarties. Yeah. I'd be like, pow, 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 so pow, pow. Yeah, I would eat the hell out of those things. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. I was like I was like that with Tums. Oh, really? That'll mess you up though. You have too many Tums. It hurt me. Hurt me. All right, so we're we're probably naying out What's here. Probably naying. Wait, Most... did, wait, did this one's filled with happiness or this one's filled with medicine? Happiness. Hazelnuts. Okay, uh, and other little things. Thank you. It's right. got a weird like candied kind of shell to it. Now you talk while I taste. Um like a hazelnut kind of cream filling, but yeah, there's like a little stickiness to it. Uh it's tasty. It's, it's not like my favorite of their chocolates. This is probably that. It's got uh, Maison d'Andois Speculos inside. Oh, uh, well, that's... Exactly. You know it's going to be a game winner. First of all, Trader Joe's, what? no offense to the, to my to uh, them, but they sell that. They sell. How do you pronounce it? How do they actually... Speculos. How do they pronounce it? Speculos. Yeah. yeah. Okay. They're fine. But when you go to the actual like place, pronounce the, the, the Dandovin. D'Andois. Yeah. Maison d'Andois. Yeah. Yeah. You go there... And they have like four foot tall ones that you can buy, and they have all the molds around. And it's like, imagine it's like what Nastasia always says like, you know, someone's like, oh, I want to make that. And you're like, okay, that's great. Making it once. And then you go to this place, and this is what they do. Like, like when they wake up in the morning, and they don't seem like they're jokers, right? You know how like sometimes people show up and like, uh, you know, their job is whatever. And so they just do their job so they can get out. I think these people are literally like thinking about these products as they're making them. You know what I mean? It's a money, it's a, it's a, it's a huge money place. And their actual, like they're non that, their waffle, the stand in the street, ridiculous. Yeah, very ridiculous. Good. That's the first time I realized that I was a complete idiot. <laughs> and then I had to get a hold of a real waffle iron and then I knew nothing. It was like, you know, a no, no nothing moment. And what they, they had, Running from their commissary on a constant basis, people with buckets, buckets of, uh, you know, of the uh, the Brussels mix because that's a batter, and just trays, tubs full of the Liège, <laughs> the Liège uh, stuff rising because they could not make that stuff fast enough. Yeah, it's very good. All right, I'm gonna try uh, this. No, All right, John, you talk talk about. So, what's this? What's the orange bullet? I it's the it's the one filled with the speculus. I mean, you talk, um, I you talk light, so I don't get uh, death threats. Yeah, no, it's got a weird, it's like a pyramid-shaped chocolate. It's got a orange cap, which is a little strange, but... That's good. It's, uh, yeah, no, it's tasty. Probably named with, um, with Speculos, yeah. Can't go wrong. That's crazy Belgians. Yeah, but I don't know, they're really good chocolates. They, I think, still provide the chocolates to the monarch, you know, the Belgian monarchy there, so it's like, you know, I imagine their palace being filled with, like, little trays of these chocolates around. Uh, I think of uh, the Belgian monarchy as being filled with trays of sadness. Yes, that too, especially if you go way back, yes. Not, <laughs> not even, even that far back, yeah, yeah, exactly, uh, you know, not that far back, but yeah. Like my parents' lifetime. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah my grandparents' lifetime too, yeah, yeah. So what, 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 what is speculos? Because I'm... Yeah. <laughs> It's a cookie, like a spiced cookie that uh, gets ground down into like a peanut buttery kind of paste. Not like the gynecological tool speculum or anything. No, 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 no. <laughs> oh, wow. Dark place. <clears throat> okay. Well, thank you. Why, why, how, how, did, how did you come upon these right now? I got some as a Christmas present for one of my prep guys. Oh, nice. So I got some for us too because I figured, why not? Yeah. They're yeah. delicious. Yeah, yeah, they have an outpost near Grand Central, I think. Yeah, that's where I got them. Yeah, yeah. nice. And have had for years. Yes. yes. I've always, I always used to walk past it. So, like, uh, one of uh, Jen's uh, studio mates in uh, architecture school was, uh, she was she was huge on, on that. She's Parisian, though. You know what I mean? So she was always, like, go there. And I'm like, well, where are you getting so this money good. from? You're an architecture student. What the hell's wrong with you? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They're not afraid of charging. No. <laughs> no. I think yeah. nine chocolates was 30 bucks, basically. Oh, yeah, kill me. All right. <clears throat> uh so Quinn, back to yeah. your, back to your Guanciale. I'm thinking about it. The only one that didn't get mold was the did it, did you have the same amount of all those products on it or no? Uh, no, slightly different. Mm. Um, you know what, man? One variable at a time, my man. One well, variable actually, at a time, sweet I Jesus. I have to send you. I have to send you an interesting video describing multivariable comparative studies. Okay, you it's can, but you know what's easy to do? One variable at a time. Unless the variables are completely 
completely um, separable, right? If the variables are completely separable, then, you know, test two at once. Like, color of the car and the engine of the car? Oh, yeah, but I'm also, like, making two at a time at most. And it takes, like, six to nine months. So, yeah. Well. I gotta pick up the pace a little. (laughs) Yeah, okay, but... Listen, if you're making two, then one variable. You could maybe do more variables if you had three. You know what I mean? I mean, how are you gonna get? How are you gonna Ooh. do it? Wait, 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 wait. Anyway, whatever. But like, for instance, like, what's the advantage? I know every beef jerky maker adds uh, umami agents to their to their stuff. But did you did you side by side that as well with it? Well, again, yeah, that was part of the original test. But then again, the other one might maybe. Okay, yeah. I've made I've made Bocelli previously. Yeah, it's more of an iterative process than directly comparing side by side. Yeah, but you know what? Like eventually, you need to do a direct comparison, just because you know you, you're always wrong. I had this discussion oh. just yesterday when I was doing this talk. Is like you fool yourself, and you can't. You no one is good enough to know. Uh, Today versus three, four days ago, much less three, four months ago, whether this one's better than that one. Nobody. You know what I mean? <clears throat> you have to taste them uh, side by side, you know, to, to really know. It's Because like, I mean, I've, I've had I've that happen to me constantly. In the fridge. Yeah, it's not the same. same That's not the same. Not the same. Anyway, okay. Uh, Dr. Smoke, uh, Dr. Smokehouse uh, wrote in. Two questions came to mind on your brief uh, duck confit discussion with Chris Young. One, do you think the salting method matters much, i.e. salting it overnight randomly or equilibrium salt for a length of time? Well, I think it does matter, but uh, I don't know anyone that does equilibrium salting on confit because who's got the freaking time? So I think you just salt it. Thank you. All right. Well, this is why you can't do side-by-side tests, Quinn, because you do things that take a billion years. It's like everyone everyone who makes it in a restaurant, they salt it. Equilibrium cure on a duck takes like two or three days. I'm saying that's a lot. That's a lot. A lot of time and a lot of space Yeah, to do that. Yeah. Like in the walk-in, that's, I don't know, for me, like in my experience, at least it's very limited. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So most people want to do like 24 hours, right? And so you, and frankly, like if you do excess salt uh, on the outside, um, I mean, you might get a little change, plus or, or minus, but during the cook, it will equilibrate quite a bit into the into the meat. And uh, Greg Blonder, regardless of what you think of his other uh, thoughts on uh, cooking techniques in his uh, what's his it's not it's genuine ideas is his blog. He's done a lot of tests showing that the um, salt penetration rate is extremely high at cooking temperatures. So if you're going to cook something for quite a long time, you're more likely to get a better equilibrated salt uh, level than you would, let's say, letting it sit in a fridge. Um, so, you know, well, did Quinn, did you do a side-by-side on equil- uh, uh, equilibrium salting versus uh, uh, just salting I mean, overnight? I, I, do, I do everything that I'm going to, like, specifically salt equilibrium. The only thing I do I equilibrium is, uh, is uh, salmon. Because you know it's it's two three days and it needs to cure for two or three days anyway. You can't do a one day cure on a salmon and have it be sliceable. You need to do like a three day cure to have it really be sliceable and then dry out. So I do equilibrium because you want it to be accurate all the time. With um, with duck, I don't not overnight, but you could do equilibrium cure. But I I don't know the percentages off the top of my head. Uh, I know that modern confit, even modern confit, and when I say that, I mean like confit from the 90s forward, really changed a lot from traditional. So if you go to like an old school bistro uh, in France and you get the confit, it's very different from the confit you would get at like, you know, like a mid to high tier New York restaurant in like the early 2000s. And by that, I mean the salt level is a lot lower. Um and a lot of traditionalists really decried the decrease in salt in the confit uh, over time. Part of it was, and you would, I would talk to chefs about it. And part of it was, uh, you know, like John says, I want to get that thing out faster. And also part of it is people's taste ran to lower salt items than uh, <clears throat> than they than they had prior, and people didn't really care about the traditional 
uh, technique of you can remember confit is originally like a siege thing you know it's like you know you take your or you know a, a, a preservation thing you're taking your duck and you're preserving it for a long time so you needed a good salt amount to prevent botulism and whatnot from growing in it it was typically herbed with other things that were also bacteriostatic or bactericidal, right? Uh, so the herbs were a necessary component uh, as well. And in the modern times, all that kind of stuff dropped off. So I think most people now have salt just for their taste because they're also not curing it. That's one thing I really miss. If you've never had a truly aged confit, you're missing out. Like the confit that you made yesterday is fine, right? That the confit you made months and months ago, that's fine. You know what I mean? <laughs> You know what I'm saying, John? You know you're with me, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, no. It's... And, and like, uh, you can you can taste it. Yeah, and uh, because there's a little more, you know, breakdown of the stuff. But the stuff that you're going to keep for a long time, better get your salt levels right. I.e., traditional. Yeah. Um. Anyway. Um. And two, do I have a preferred cooking method? Oven, stovetop, sous vide. So we did extensive testing on different kinds of vacuum-bagged uh, confit back in the day. And the tremendous advantage of vacuum-bagged confit is that you don't need a lot of fat to do it. And that's a huge advantage. Uh, so that's what we used to do all the time. Um, we've done low-temperature sous vide and traditional sous vide. I do not like low-temperature confit very much uh it's fine it's not a bad product but if you were to hand me low temperature confit and uh high temperature confit both in a bag i would choose the high temperature i.e traditional like 85 c something like this celsius every single time now is this because i grew up eating confit and would someone who you know if i somehow like flew someone in from mars and like they had never heard of or had confit before and i served them you know uh, a low temp confit and the traditional that maybe they would prefer the the low temp one. I don't know, but I didn't fly in from Mars and I grew up eating confit, so I prefer the other one. Um, and maybe that makes me a dinosaur. I don't know. Uh, have you ever had a low temp confit? No, I haven't. It's fine. It's yeah. but confit is confit. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so I wouldn't go low temp sous vide. Um, the problem with the bag is there's no evaporation. So if you are working uh, with confit in a bag, you'll notice you get a weird jelly uh, along with the uh, along with the the fat that renders out of the uh, the bird when it's uh, working, and it probably makes it if you're going to age it for a long time different. And it also changes the way it kind of crisps up when you fry it because there's more moisture on the inside of it, so it's a little bit different. I think the skin's a little bit different. And it's the same problem. Um, I think that's roughly the same as doing it in a um, in a combi oven. Unless you could figure out, which this is what somebody should do. Somebody should help me out, right? Here's what you need to do. And I don't have the time to do it, so I won't. But do a traditional confit. You know, uh, weigh weigh your products before and after, and see how much water is uh, is getting evaporated out of X number of legs at X weight. Weigh them before, weigh the whole thing after. Uh, figure out how much is evaporating, and then you could tune a combi oven to the correct steam level to get that exact moisture loss. But you'd probably have to get the loads right each time. And if you did that, I'm assuming you'd be able to make a pretty bang on confit because that that's the issue i think with um non-traditional ways of doing it is it's hard to get the evaporation as well as uh the other things right at the same time does that make sense yeah anyway one time i did i think i can't remember what i think i did maybe it was a lower temperature but you could do a higher temperature i did a bath in bath confit with the sous vide so i had like a tray filled with oil with the product inside, and that was nested inside the water bath, and there was only about a two degree difference Why? between the water and the fat. Why? Um, maybe because I wanted lower temperature, but and I didn't have any sort yeah. of precision like soaked up. Anytime you're at the lower temperature, anytime you're below, anytime you're covered with oil. And you're below the uh, boiling point of water, you get very little evaporation because uh, <clears throat> there's, you know, you're under oil. So there's not a lot of vapor pressure, not a lot of stuff is leaving. So I would bet, and this is why when somebody is, if you were gonna make like, uh, 
some like some Italian families when they're making their super soprasata when they're making their suprasad, right? They let it cure for a certain amount of time till it's as dry as they want, and then they put it in oil, right? Or mm. country ham makers, they get the country ham exactly the way they want it, and then they slather the face of the ham with with fat, hard fat. To prevent evaporation, right? So if you're going low temp under oil, you're going to get very little evaporation. So I'm assuming you're going to get a wetter product mm -hmm. than you would otherwise. Mm -hmm. And so yeah. what I'm saying is, is that I, when I make confit, I usually do it in the bag because I'm lazy and it's extremely easy to throw my bags in the fridge and then cut them open when I need them. And I'm not aging them mm -hmm. for a long time. But I think that someone who does it the old way is probably going to make a better product than I do. That's my guess. I don't know. I mean, comfy, delicious. But I think you could make it just as good if you were to measure the stuff I was measuring, uh, talking about. Tony Tony writes in. This is a home kitchen question. In fact, an on-a-budget home kitchen question. Tony Tony, I know where this is going. I've read it, so I literally know where it's going. But I'm very nervous telling you to do things that are... Well, I'm not going to tell you how to do really dangerous things. Okay, so uh, this is a home kitchen question, on-budget home kitchen question. I'm using a three-year-old freestanding gas Samsung range from Home Depot. I'm sorry for you, Tony Tone. Uh, is it possible to cook? And that's probably fine. Samsung makes decent products. They make good products. I don't know. I don't know your stove, so I don't know. But I'm just imagining if it's freestanding. Here's what I don't like about... When you're buying a stove like that and it's freestanding, it sounds like you're, you're on a budget. Maybe it's not your house. It's when the stove isn't installed properly and it moves around. So when you're cooking on your stove and your stove makes any movement at all, it just drives me bonkers. Nuts. You know what I mean? As much as when I sit down at a table and it doesn't have wobble wedges and the table's moving around and I want to lose my freaking mind. You know what I mean? Anyway, so I hope that's not happening. I hope you have a very steady, steady stove. But a lot of those ones you get, they're so lightweight. They're going to move around. My stove like, weighs like what a truck weighs. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. Anyway, is it possible to coordinate the oven controls so uh, that what they say is what I get? Yes and no. Currently, I want, uh, say, 225 Fahrenheit. I have the oven set at 250, and only by judging time it takes to get things done. You're only judging by the time it takes to get things done. I guess uh, if I had a way of testing the oven temp that I trusted, I would settle for that and not go through the hassle of coordinating the electronic settings with the actual temperatures. Unfortunately, the grocery store oven thermometer I picked up, nah, 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 no. Uh, seems way off. Uh, says like it's 150 degrees when the oven is set at 250. Uh, using my construction quality infrared thermometer also seems unreliable. Yeah. Yeah, it is, because what are you pointing at, right? Um, I'm only asking what's reliable and affordable. A third-party oven thermometer. I have a thermopen. No, no, no. Listen, so uh, <clears throat> what's really cheap is uh, thermocouples, right? So you, what you want to do is go get thermocouple, uh, bead thermocouples with fiberglass insulation that are rated above uh, 400 or 500. I would do 500. They do five 600 degrees Fahrenheit, right? The... The, it's going to get a little toasty, but it's not going to be too bad. Turn the oven off. Every gas oven has holes in it, right, for ventilation. And so if you take off the uh, – <laughs> if you get into it, you can feed a thermocouple up into the body of the oven without having them so that you're shutting the door on the thermocouple wire. And you can have the thermocouple come out through the bottom because it can take all the temperatures. And they are cheap on the order of like – $5 a piece maybe for a bead thermocouple that can, they can take all this. Don't get the ones with PVC on them. Don't get the ones with PVC on them. And then on eBay or on Amazon, you can get really cheap thermocouple thermometers, and you can actually measure in like various places in your oven what the temperature actually is. I can't see like professional. I know how to adjust a professional thermostat in an oven. You rip the knob off. You you set it at, at a temperature, and there's an internal screw on the inside of the knob. Like we, most of them use like Robert Shaw or similar thermostats, and you pull off the knob, and there's an inner screw on the inside of the thing that lets you turn so that you can you set a temperature, then you get your thermometer and you measure it, and then you rotate the screw up or down to set the th thermostat. But I don't know how home ovens work. If it's an electronic, most of these things have a calibration uh, 
screw on them somewhere. Uh, so like a professional oven, you calibrate both the height of the pilot and you can, but mo- that you can't do that. At, uh, at home ovens now are all click, 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 you know, ignitions. But um, usually there's some sort of calibration thing. So you figure out who made the control for it and figure out how to calibrate it, get some uh, thermocouples in there. And you could probably do this whole thing for if you're willing to wait and find like a used thermometer under 150 bucks and then you can use that on any sort of testing you want to do later all those thermocouples and you can reuse them and just don't please don't burn yourself or burn your house down uh and thank god you didn't ask me to tell you how to uh put a a solenoid valve in line with your gas unit and control uh, the oven any way you want hot rod it up to 900 degrees because i definitely would not tell you how to do that uh Jameson wrote in uh, and would appreciate thoughts on mapping and calibration of ovens uh, and whether uh, whether I guess it's probably for Chris, but whether we worry about it or just work around it like everyone else. It's very instructive to map your oven at least once to see where all the real hot spots and cold spots are uh, and how they work. Uh, so typically what, uh, I did is, uh, I would get this one. I didn't build it into my oven, but I have mapped my Breville. I've mapped my APO, uh, is you take three different thermocouples at three heights and you just make a little wire, uh, kind of rig to hold them. And then you put them at, at, you know, front to back. You can really map out and see where all like the crazy cold spots are. And then once you know, then you kind of know what to do and you stop worrying about it. So you don't need to map it all the time. You know what I mean? You can either be like, oh, this is fine, or like, oh, I'm really, I'm so effed that I'm not going to worry about it anymore, which is kind of what I end up doing. Uh, Lionel Hutz writes in, a uh, question for me, uh, who or whomever might have insight, I've been having trouble with my dough rise. This is a complicated question. So if we have any real dough people out here, and, and uh, Lionel, I feel like I need more information from you. All right, I've been having trouble with my dough rising after mixing uh, with a pretty active sourdough starter. I'm going to start from the back. So what Lionel says in the thing is, is that, uh, their dough usually doubles, right? Uh, in um, their dough usually doubles uh, in a similar time span to their starter, which they're saying their starter doubles every four to five hours. So they're usually after they make their bulk, they do their bulk fermentation. They get a doubling time in four to five hours, right? And uh, now it's taking like eight to ten hours, so about twice the time. And they say that it that they're adding the same amount of sourdough starter to each. They're adding 5%, which seems low, right? I think, you know, more like 10 might be, and that could help you out. But what I, what I don't know, what you didn't tell me, Lionel, and you're proofing an 80, what you didn't, and you're using an encarcerum, which I appreciate. You know, everyone knows I like the encarcerum mixer, but, you know, Swedish helper, baby, the kitchen assistant, encarcerum. Uh, but what you didn't say... You said what you're doing now, but you didn't say what you used to do that made it work, right? So something changed between the way you used to do it when it used to double and now. And so I don't – I can't go line by line and figure out where are the changes and what could have happened, right? So um, – I think there was some, like, follow-up discussion in the in the Discord. Okay. Too big to – are include well, but nothing. The word, changed. the word document would have uh, crapped out on me. Well, it was like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyway, so what? Nothing. If nothing changed, then nothing changed. Then I can't troubleshoot. If it used to work, people, people are suggesting it somehow might be the season. What? He he mm. he proofs it in an oven at eighty degrees temperature controlled. He's getting dough out of the encarcerum at 78 to 80 degrees Fahrenheit, right? Mm -hmm. So I don't think it's the season. I really don't. You know what I mean? Um, He's using 25% rye, which is going to act pretty much like wheat flour at that dosage. I mean, it's it's high for, you know, pretending to be wheat, but it's still going to act, you know, primarily as, as a wheat dough at that point. Um, I don't know what's different. Is the, is the mixer different? Is he switching to a different mixer? Is a, a different flour? I mean, the easiest thing to do is to just up the sourdough because he's, it's on the very low end, right? Like up at the 10. Yeah, yeah. Because anytime you uh, up the, the leavener, you know, when you're talking about doubling times, uh, right? So if you're talking about doubling times, if you double the amount of stuff that's in, that's one doubling you don't have to do. And that all of a sudden, mm-hmm. bingity, bingity, boongity, it takes you from... It takes you from, t- you know, 10 hours to five. You know what I'm saying? So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. I mean, I just, like, I would need, so were there any differences? 
to hone in on? It's always yeah, the difference that yeah. makes the difference. If, if yeah, I can no, be that, honest, the, the mystery. The mystery was that something changed. That he was not aware of. The other thing is the like starter. The starter. The starter could change just because one starter worked a certain way. Yeah, it's not yeah. the same. It's not the same group of microbes that it, that it was before. And something that you know rises like a mother in a hundred percent hydration situation when you're feeding it constantly, right? Is not necessarily going to rise at the same rate, you know, in a in a bread system. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So it, I don't. I don't know. I didn't. I don't have the hydration of the dough as far as i can tell here anyway look for your point of difference and your point of difference if you can find no point of difference then your starter is probably the difference but i guarantee you somewhere there is a point of difference find it you know what i mean that's always what you need to do and this is why quinn one variable at a time baby because you need to find the point of difference anyway uh let me know let me know what the discord finds uh, Tyler H. Question uh, that can probably be answered. Uh, I think it, it was maybe talked about at the show at some point. How do I make a sauce using low temperature bag juices? That just sounds wrong. How do I make a bag juice sauce? Like how, Nastasia, if you went to a restaurant and someone was like, "Yo, we have a bag juice sauce," what would you say? No, thank you. <laughs> yeah, right. No thanks. I, I told you guys like someone once said it's served in a room temperature sauce, and I was like, "No, no thanks." No, thanks. I mean, words words have uh, words carry feelings, you know. Yeah. Room temperature sauce means you made it one way, and now it's at the temperature of the room. I have not controlled it. I care little for you. You know what I mean? Uh, I mean, I'm sure that's not what they meant by it, but you know, it's what's implied. It's what's implied. Uh, yeah. Is there any good way to say something's going to be room temperature? That's not assumed to be room temperature. Right, so like when a charcuterie plate shows up and that sucker is cold, I'm like, oh damn! Why'd you hurt my Why'd you hurt my meat? You know what I mean? Yeah. But I, I've noticed people serving cheeses colder, and it makes me oh, mad. Good tempered. Ooh. The is tempered. Tempered. I like it. Sounds a little more sophisticated. Yeah, has other meanings, but I like it. I feel it's getting close. Tempered. Tempered, tempered, tempered temperature. All right. Uh, how do I make a sauce using low temp bag juices without turning it into a coagulated gray grossness? Most recent fail was from a 24 hour, 135 degree uh, a beef roast. Yeah, yeah, man, man, that's that's gross looking. So here's what happens, people. Uh, as I'm sure you all know, uh, different proteins coagulate at different temperatures. And when you're doing uh, low temperature cooking, uh, there are always proteins uh, in the liquid that leaches out of the meat. So as the as the fibers contract, right, uh, they squeeze liquid out. And also the the you know the the proteins have less water holding capacity. The muscle muscle fibers have less water holding capacity, so moisture goes out. We all know this. In that stuff that leaches out are proteins that have not yet been denatured. So you can take a sauce or like a bag liquid that looks good out of the bag, and as soon as you heat it up near the boil, scum, and it looks gross, like real bad, like nasty. So how to uh, do this? Well, the way we always used to recommend uh, working, and, and I don't know whether you're doing this professionally or at home, uh, professionally, if you really want to do it, is you fix yesterday's sauce for today, and you use today's sauce for tomorrow because you can uh, heat it and you can skim that crap off, and then use the flavors that are in it as the base reduction for another sauce. But as those proteins coagulate with it, unfortunately, they're also stripping some flavor out in the same way that doing a consomme would uh, strip the flavors out. But you need to get rid of all that uh, coagulant. If you're doing it at home, it's hard because when you get the bag sauces out, usually you're ready to eat it now and you want to do an a la minute sauce. And for that, you're kind of up the creek unless you use extremely reduced uh things going into it. So if you're, let's say you were going to do like a red wine Megillah, if you extraordinarily reduce the stuff that goes into the bag beforehand and you don't have as much juices, get this, let's say you were to make like some sort of like a sauce, like a Bernese Hollandaise sauce, then you could at the low temperature without bringing it up on the service out at service temperature, just whisk some of those juices in and get some of that flavor. Does that help out, John? As long as there's not too much? Yeah. 
Bernice. Uh, Radar, looking for ideas on French onion soup. I've done a lots and lots, but I, have, I haven't had bliss. I've tried pressure cooker versions. Nope. With and without Kenji's baking soda edition. Nah, it makes it mushy, and also I don't like baking soda. And no, makes it brown. Uh, steam ovens, baking the onions, various chicken mushrooms, dashi-based stocks. I, avoid it, I prefer to avoid dark, beefy stocks. My favorite uh, French onion soup is actually made with veal stock. All right. Here's my idea on French onion soup. Cut up an unconscionable amount of onions. Put them into a pan, and then let them go at a very, 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 very low heat for a very long time. Then make whatever the richest stock that you like is. Add it to said onions. Then get you a nice piece of bread. Get you some good cheese. What do you use on your French? Gruyere? Gris, yeah, Gruyere. Yeah. Yeah. And then melt it. Like, put the bread, put the, grate the stuff up, put it on top, melt it over the thing, and then you eat the hell out of it. I'd also say a little sherry vinegar. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah I like sherry, yeah. straight sherry. Too. Yeah, that too, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Straight sherry, yeah. yeah. Uh, but a little bit. Yeah. But the key here is just, is that you can't shortcut the onions. You can't shortcut the onions. That's what you're doing here. Shortcutting the onions is is a, a large mistake, especially in the pressure cooker. It's not going to work. And Joff, I don't have any new recommendations on uh, sharpening stones other than DMT. But if anyone in the uh, if anyone in the uh, Discord has a, a sharpening stone that they like better than the DMT, the big one, don't say that you don't like the small one because nobody likes the small one. Nobody likes to sharpen their knives on a tiny little stone. This isn't like Boy Scouts in the 1890s. Like get a real size stone if you're using a real size chef's knife. But the DMT is expensive. So if anyone has recommendations, it's supersede my old ones let me know cooking issues 